You know the vibes. We're back with another episode of the Hoop Genius Podcast. It's your boy, Mo Mootsi, and three-time champion BJ Armstrong on the show, sponsored by NBA 2K22. If you haven't yet, go get your copy by hitting the link in the description. Still no NBA game, so we've got to fill the void somehow. So come and get yourself a copy of NBA 2K22. And if you do, hit me up. We'll play online. But BJ, a lot's been going on. A lot uh, has been going Mo, on. I can look in your eyes until <laughs> it's going to be a little heated today. Well, it's going to be hot. I can just feel it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I've got some things to address. To, you got to, hey, 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 like, hey, hey, like they say, like the numbers on the house. Shout out to Big Perk. I got to address okay. it like the numbers, on the, numbers on the house. Now, you know, without any games on, people have been finding things to talk about. And the big talking point right now is the situation in New Orleans with Zion Williamson and his apparent lack of interest in being at the Pelicans. And over the weekend, CJ McCollum, who was recently traded from Portland to the New Orleans Pelicans, came out and said he's not had any contact with Zion Williamson since he got traded. Now, on ESPN yesterday, Stephen A. Smith and JJ Reddick were discussing this and JJ had a lot to say. The Twitter timeline was blowing up. So the first thing, is that Zion did reach out to CJ after he was traded. Maybe it was on Monday, but he still reached out to him. And then we have to look at what's- Did you confirm this, Mo? Did you confirm this? This has been confirmed by the one and only Malika Andrews. Okay. So that is confirmed that he has reached out to CJ. He might've been a little bit late, but here's the other thing. Zion Williamson is a 21 year old kid. Let's, he might be in the spotlight. He might be able to dunk on anyone and jump out of the gym when he's healthy. But he is a 21-year-old kid. Add to that the pressure that he has on him by being a number one pick in the NBA draft, by having a major shoe deal before he even played a game in the league, by having the weight of the world on him as the most hyped draft prospect since LeBron James in 2003. Then when you factor those things in and look at the fact that he's unable to play because of injuries... I think people don't look at it from a human perspective. You have no idea what goes on inside the mind of Zion Williamson. I have no idea, but neither do the people in the media and neither do the fans at home. I can only tell you from firsthand, BJ, I was never a number one pick in the NBA draft, but let me tell you this. Whenever I- You're number one in the people's heart, Well, You're number one in the people's heart. (laughs) That means a lot. And that's, that's where I'd rather be. Okay, as long as the people love me. But here's the thing. Times where I couldn't play basketball, And this was, I wasn't even playing in the NBA. Times when I couldn't play basketball were the worst times of my life. If I'm going to be completely transparent here, the worst I've felt in life is when I can't go out and do the thing that I love most. And that is play ball because of injuries. It's the most frustrating. It takes a toll on you mentally when you can't go out and do what you love. And I didn't have the expectations of being a franchise face in the NBA. I didn't have the expectations of being a number one pick. I didn't have the expectations of everyone that they have on Zion Williamson. So you don't know what he's going through. So he might not be rehabbing with the team. He might be dealing with this in his own way. He might be taking his time to reach out to his teammates, but you don't know the inner workings of a situation. Everyone loves to come and talk about mental health, this mental health, that, but then they come on the internet and they start slandering a 21 year old kid and they start trying to judge his character. The amount of tweets I saw people saying, Oh, Zion's got an awful character. Zion's an awful teammate. You don't know. You don't know him. You don't know how he's dealing with things. You don't know what he's going through. But then we got to look at what JJ Reddick said. Now bear with me, BJ, because I've got to have a little rant here. We've got to look at what JJ Reddick 
said on this show. Okay. JJ Reddick said in the general decorum of being a teammate, Zion is displaying insane behavior. He called it a pattern of behavior. He in fact said, when I was his teammate, I can describe him as a detached teammate. So I thought to myself, this is pretty interesting. Let's go back and look at the relationship between JJ Reddick and Zion Williamson, because they were teammates in New Orleans. JJ Reddick called Zion a future MVP. He said he has Hall of Fame potential. He said Zion Williamson is a guy who can lead a team to a championship. Now, if this is a pattern of behavior that you witnessed when you were there, why would you say he can lead a team to a championship? JJ Reddick spoke to Zion's maturity, his level-headedness, his unable to be phased by the hype. He said there's no ceiling on what Zion can become. He said he has no doubts that Zion will develop in the right way. And he said, what I love most is the person he is. Now, if you're saying this is a pattern of behavior, okay, and he's a detached teammate, where was this energy before ESPN show yesterday? Where was this energy for the past three years? Okay, if you're going to say all these nice things about Zion, because I sat there and listened to Zion Williamson on JJ Reddick's podcast for over an hour. Now, if he's a detached teammate, what's he doing coming on your show, giving up his free time to sit on your podcast and answer your questions? If he's so detached, if he was so detached, then he wouldn't have come on your show. He wouldn't have replied to your text talking about come on my podcast. So that's the first thing that I have to say. And then I have to say this. What is the angle here that JJ Reddick's going with? Because a lot of people have said, oh, this is a damning condemnation of Zion Williamson because they were teammates and they both went to Duke and they both have the same agency. Well, you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. You don't know the political nature of the business of basketball. Let's break it down. Okay, they both went to Duke. So he owes Zion some sort of loyalty. But Zion Williamson is not the only person who went to Duke. In fact, his teammate, Brandon Ingram, also went there. But more to the point, the general manager of the New Orleans Pelicans, Trajan Langdon, also went to Duke University. So assuming that he has a loyalty to Zion Williamson because they went to the same school, over anyone else who went to that school, that's interesting to me because if his loyalties were lying with the general manager, perhaps the New Orleans franchise and the front office, they don't want to be blamed for having another unhappy superstar. Look at what happened with Anthony Davis demanding his way out. They don't want to see that happen again with Zion Williamson. So perhaps, this is just speculation, but perhaps they want to make this seem like Zion's fault. Maybe they want to paint Zion as the bad guy and not take any of the blame themselves because if you look at Zion Williamson okay he's supposed to be over the moon that he's playing with CJ McCollum if you're Zion Williamson why would you be over the moon that you're playing with another scorer who needs the ball in his hands to be effective and offers not much on the defensive side when you could have been playing with Lonzo Ball a great defensive guard and a great person to assist Zion's style of play which they traded away Drew Holiday, an elite defensive guard and a playmaker who went on to win a championship after the Pelicans traded him away. So that's one way to look at it. Then you want to say, okay, cool. They're both from the same agency. Well, how do you know that Zion, this is all speculation again, he could be looking to go to another agency. So maybe then that agency wants JJ Reddick to get on national TV and say, hmm, yeah, Zion's the bad guy. So, you know, everyone's saying all of this and trying to slander a 21-year-old kid, a 21-year-old Like when you were 21, I don't know what you were doing when you were 21, BJ, but I know when I was 21, I was pretty ignorant as well. I might not have been the best teammate. I might not have been the best person because life is all about growing and learning from your mistakes. And as an older player in this league, as an elder statesman, you should be guiding 
these young players, not getting on national TV and criticizing, saying it's insane and saying they're detached. I think it was outrageous what he said. And everyone wants to take the side of, oh, Zion Williamson's lazy. He's not in shape. He's a bad teammate. He don't want to talk to guys. You don't know what Zion's dealing with. Okay. Do you think he's not playing in these games by choice or do you think he's injured? Because I don't think you'll find many basketball players who pretend to be injured not to play, but they're so early on in their NBA career. Okay. And then the other thing is, if you want to look at it, JJ Reddick's relationship with the New Orleans Pelicans, well, how has everyone forgotten how he left the Pelicans? He was unhappy with the front office because they wouldn't let him go to the Brooklyn Nets. And instead, they traded him to the Dallas Mavericks. He wanted to play for Brooklyn because his family lives in Brooklyn. So when they sent him to the Dallas Mavericks, he was extremely unhappy. In fact, let me get the quote up here. JJ Reddick said, I don't think you're going to get honesty from that front office. So if he's getting on national TV, perhaps he wants to make the team look bad. Perhaps he wants to destroy the trade value of Zion Williamson if he knows that the New Orleans Pelicans are looking to make a move. Okay, I just had to get some of these things off my chest. And I want to finish with this, BJ. Zion Williamson has played 85 games in his first three seasons in the league. That's over his first two seasons. And in the third season, he's not played a game. Okay, if we look at the first four seasons of Joel Embiid's career, Joel Embiid, who we spent a show on TV today talking about being the favorite for MVP, he didn't play a single game in his first two seasons. Then in his third season, he played 31 games. And then he played 63 games in his fourth season in the NBA. And we've in fact never seen him play over 65 games. So we all want to judge this guy so early into his career. There's no question mark on the talent of Zion Williamson. There was no question mark on the talent of Joel Embiid. Embiid, he's getting healthier and you can see it paying off on the court. But everyone's so quick to judge. You know, everyone's so quick to judge this guy's a bust. Everyone wants to have a hot take. This guy's a bust. This guy's a bad teammate. Why not be patient and see how his career develops? But I went on a little rant there. BJ, you know, I'm, I want to hear your, your thoughts. But, but I just Ooh. had to get it off Ooh. my chest because I don't like this. Everyone's coming to criticize. The guy's 21 years old. And, and everyone's on him. Like, he's supposed to be some sort of veteran leader in the locker room. As if that's his role as a 21-year-old. We talk about roster construction. Why not construct a roster with some vets that are going to take that leadership role? But maybe that's just me. Well, Mo, it's so much to unpack. Where do you want to start, my friend? I mean, you really, when you said you had a lot, I felt the energy before the show. I had no idea where this was going, but there's a lot to unpack there. Where would you like to start, my friend? Man, I want to I wanna get, get your opinion, first of all, on these, when, when a player is traded, because you were on teams and players were traded, right. or when, when mm-hmm. you went to new teams, talk us through, did you reach out to guys on the first day, the second, because obviously you didn't have Twitter, so you would have read it in the newspaper, or, or you know, you must have got a call from your, from your teammates saying, oh, we've just acquired this guy. Were you reaching out to them straight away, or were you thinking, oh, this guy's probably on a flight, and then he wants to set in, let me give it a few days before I reach out to him, and then make sure he's all good. What was the process like for you as a teammate? Well, well, first of all, let me say this. Um, The one thing, Mo, and to our listeners here, I want to share, I want to take you behind the curtain. As an ex-player, I can never forget how difficult it is to play. I also cannot ever forget when you come into this league, you're constantly reminded of how much you don't know. Okay. Now, as I was listening to what you were saying and 
And I happen to have seen what JJ said and watched that show and, and all of those things and what was said on the show. And I got what he was saying. But it wasn't the totality of what he was saying. He forgot some very important points that need to be, you know, that we're going to discuss here, that I'm going to personally discuss and address. Because it's easy to point the finger at this young man, Zion, okay? Watching this era of the NBA, it is very obvious to me what's missing in the NBA today, and that's leadership. Leadership starts at the top. It's very obvious to me that just because you're the best player, everyone assumes that you're the leader of the group because you are the best player. Okay, let's, that's a false narrative. No one comes into this league with that level of leadership from day one. Believe it or not, Chris Paul didn't even have it. <laughs> okay. And Chris <laughs> Paul, this was without question, along with some others, Steph Curry, they have impeccable leadership ability. I've watched players. I've watched LeBron James. I've, I, I've scouted LeBron James from uh, as a freshman in high school to watching him now in the NBA. Believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, he wasn't this way as a freshman in high school. I've seen him develop. I've seen him grow into this role. I've seen him grow into the player he has become. I've watched Kevin Durant. I remember watching Kevin Durant as a young player in high school, and I've seen him grow into the player he has become. It's very unfortunate that these players now, because it's a double-edged sword, they come in with all of this hype, they come in with all of this potential, and then we automatically put them in a role of leadership, but we forget one important ingredient, where are they gonna learn how to lead? Where? Agreed. Where? Now, the thing that I, in listening to JJ, I want to ask JJ if I, if he was here, is like, okay, without question, he has the biggest upside of the group. Without, without question, you can see that. Okay. Where is this young man going to learn how to become the leader? Because just because he's the best player on the court, that doesn't mean he's the best leader off the court. You would like to have both, but you can see the difficulty in having that. You can see it. The leadership, thank goodness when I came into this league, I was surrounded by examples of leadership that I'm forever grateful for. For instance, I come into a league, my first year happened to be the same year as Phil Jackson, who goes on to be a Hall of Fame coach. Tex Winners was an assistant coach, Hall of Fame coach. Jerry Krause, Hall of Fame general manager. Then I had an opportunity to be surrounded by all these players. And even though they weren't on my team, the late Chuck Daly, Pat Riley, Hubie Brown, Mike Fratello, the Lenny Wilkins, the list goes on and on and on. Legends. 
then I had a chance to play with guys, Michael Jordan, Bill Cartwright. I was friends with Patrick Ewing, friends with Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars, Magic Johnson. So it was a constant growth of because I was exposed to all of this level of excellence, leadership. I had the, I had the, the, the fortune of playing, playing in the playoffs and losing. I saw how people dealt with failures. I saw how people dealt with success. I saw what small guards, how they played. Zion has been thrust into a situation to where he's looked at as the savior of a franchise. Let me drop you off there in New Orleans and you just go. Good luck with that one. Mm-hmm. Good luck. It's very unfortunate this is the process now because it's obvious to me that there's a lack of leadership at the top because these players have nowhere to learn. And for me to sit here, who I've had the privilege of working with the number one pick in the draft, his name was Derrick Rose. Believe it or not, there was probably more pressure on him than in New Orleans because he was playing in a larger market. I hear it. Okay. Believe it or not, Mo, this is a true story. I've never, ever told Derrick Rose how to play. I've never told Derrick Rose that you got to get better at shooting. I've never told Derrick Rose, when it comes to playing, I said the only example I can give you is to go out there and learn from the experience that you get. And I can encourage you and share with you what I know works when you ask a question. That's it. I said, but what I will challenge you on is for you to become the leader of an organization. Because the only way that this can work is if you can understand your responsibility in this game. You can't just be the best player like you were in high school or the best player in college. You can't do that in the NBA. Why can't you do that in the NBA? Because it was the business of basketball. So you know what's the first thing we did when Derrick Rose announced that he was coming to the NBA? You know what the first thing we did? No, go on. We went, I took him to, to New York to meet then Commissioner David Stern, Deputy Commissioner at the time, Adam Silver, and I took him to the NBA office to understand the business that he was walking into. He just wasn't showing up to an arena and playing like it was some AAU tournament. He was actually participating in a billion dollar operation. And you got to know how this works. So that way, when he went to an arena, he understood the economics of what he was walking into and what his responsibility was going to be if he had a chance to not only be the face of an organization, but potentially one day to be the face of the league. And I worked with him every single day to understand the business that he was walking into because there's no preparation for that. The basketball, he's got all that. You, that's your part. Mm-hmm. My job is to help you understand so that 
when you have tough decisions to make within an organization, that you are prepared to make those decisions that ultimately will affect you what's gonna happen on the court. Unfortunately, what we've done to these young players is we leave them. Where is Zion gonna learn this? Zion doesn't need you or me, believe it or not, Mo, to tell him about basketball. I think he's got that covered. <laughs> just, just about. <laughs> he's got that covered, okay? But you know what Zion really needs help on? Zion, at some point here, the organization, your teammates are looking for you to do something that maybe right now you're not comfortable doing, which is leading an organization. Tim Duncan, when he came into the league, Tim Duncan could have also been, been seen as detached and all of those things. But guess what he had? He had David Robinson. Who could do all of that, show him the way. And when it was his time to be the face and take on all those responsibilities and, and all, he was ready for that. And then he passed it on to Ginobili. And then he passed it on to Tony Parker. Then he passed it on to Kawhi Leonard. That's how it works. If you think that Zion is going to spend six months at Duke University, come to New Orleans and have this thing figured out, good luck. And that's all I want to say is like, it's, we, we, we have to have patience with these young people. We have to allow these young people to grow. But more importantly, he's got to grow into that role. Because let me tell you something. This, the, the one thing that I was most concerned about as an athlete is when I no longer could trust my body more. Yeah. And when your body, as you get, thank goodness, when I was young, I was healthy. But as I got older, Mo, things got more difficult for me because I spent more time trying to get on the court and recovering than I actually spent improving my game. Yeah. This young man right now, Mo, whether he wants to admit it or not, he's concerned. And I'm going to tell you why he's concerned. Because Mo, hopefully he will have the next 10 years health-free. But right now, Mo, he doesn't. And you don't know how damaging and psychologically what that could do to a young player. Because his greatest gift right now is his physical ability. Yeah. Okay? Everybody's going to get hurt. And if you want to see someone go into a state, a dark space, just take away the one thing that, especially young people, okay? Mm, facts. Un unfortunately, I saw that firsthand with the young Derrick Rose. MVP at the height of his career taken away immediately. Well, let me tell you something, Mo. Welcoming somebody to the team in that moment wasn't the first thing in the, on that young man's mind. I hear it. You don't know That's how facts. these young people, you don't know how these young people are going to respond. So in saying that, I would love, to, it's going to happen naturally. He's going to grow into that leadership position. But my question is, who's going to teach him? Agreed. Who's going to teach him? Because it's easy for me to point at someone else. 
But I can't ever forget, Mo, that when I came into this league, I didn't know anything. I didn't know nothing. And what I thought I knew, I didn't even know. I didn't know. So I'm going to say this to this young man. Everything I know about Zion is that he is a terrific young man. He is hard worker, so forth and so on. But right now, Mo, just because he's the best player doesn't mean he's a leader of the group and the leader of the team. And I want to say this. I think we owe him and, and all these young kids. When you're 18, 19, that's the difficult thing about coming to be a professional. You lose your childhood. You lose all of the things, the growth. Because now, because you're getting paid, people expect you to do it. Mm -hmm. As they say in the wine business, no wine before it's time. This young man is not ready to do that yet. Mm -hmm. He looks like he's ready to do it. But underneath all of that force and jumping and vertical and dunks is a young kid who's just trying to find his way. Agreed. That's what I want to say about that, Mo. And, and as an adult, I want him to know that I get it. I get you. I, I'm not talking about the player. I'm talking about the person. Mm -hmm. Because, Mo, if he came to me, we could give him the answers to the test. I hear it. Because man. you can't no, you can't go in the gym and recreate what he's doing on the court. You got that. But all of these other things is what makes a family a family. And because he's the best player, everyone's expecting him to do these things. And Mo, how's he going to know? He can't know. There's no this way is my point for any exactly. of these young kids to know. No. And, and, and all of these players, like Steph Curry, let's take him for instance. Where would Steph Curry know? Well, his dad played. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a huge well, advantage. The, the one comparison everyone makes is John Morant went second in that draft and everyone's saying, oh, I bet they regret not taking John Morant number one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one thing that stands out to me is when John Morant got to the Grizzlies, there was one player on that team that I think now, I wasn't there, but this is what I'm just seeing from the outside looking in. One player that I would love to have on any franchise, a leader. And it, as it goes back to saying, you don't have to be the best player to be a leader, but Jay Crowder was on that Memphis Grizzlies team to welcome in a rookie, John Morant. And if you look at the impact he has on whichever team he goes to, that's leadership. When I look at the Pelicans rosters, the most experienced players through Zion's first two years was JJ Redick. So... It should have been JJ Redick teaching him this. And he said, I called him out publicly in front of the team. And da, 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 da. I don't know. I'm not buying it based on everything else he said. Mo, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Mo. Because, listen, you don't have kids yet. I have kids. So I, I'm forced to, I got to be real about the situation. Yeah. The first thing you have with a kid, my own kids. And when I look at these players that I'm fortunate enough to represent, if I ever were to coach, I've been an executive. I always looked at it and I treated, I try to treat them with like I would treat my own kids. The first thing you want to do, Mo, when you have your own kids someday, I have my kids now. I got three kids, three wonderful kids, is you want to stabilize and put them in stable situations. Now, how many coaches have Zion had already in three years? How A many lot. Coaches has A lot. How many coaches has he? I don't even know. Is he on the third coach? Stan Van Gondi. 
he said Stan Van Gundy. I know he's had he's had uh, Gentry. He's had now Willie Green. Willie Green yeah. now is currently there now, right? Yeah, so Willie Green. Coaches? Last season was Stan. Before that, it was Alvin Gentry. Okay, so he's three so he's coaches in three, three coaches years. in three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not good for a young kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, and he's had now, three point about, guards to play with in three years. Okay, that's not good for a young player. Okay. How many executives have been there now? Is it is it is this the same? Is it, is this is not the, it's not even the same ownership that drafted him. Oh, it, this it was a new yeah, ownership, it's but it's I not the it, same. It's an, it a whole new regime came in as they drafted him. Right. Exactly. So it's not yes. an established okay. like the Spurs had an established culture. Right. It's okay. All new. Exactly. So what we've done is we've more or less thrown this young man into a situation where there's no stability. And again, it gets back to what you know works in an organization. Leadership and stability is what young people look for. Because then they can, that's the environment in which they thrive under. If I'm constantly changing things, but we know this is sports. We know this is professional sports. Things change all the time. But if you want young people to thrive, you have to have an environment in which they will be the best versions of themselves. That's, that's just how it works. So if you're going to draft Tim Duncan, if you're going to draft these young gifted players, you got to stabilize the organization immediately. That's just how it works. But, but if you keep changing the coaches and you keep changing the players and you keep putting young players around and, and da, da, then you never know. It's already, it's already, a crapshoot when you draft these players because they're of their age. And then you do this. Now you just increase the chances of them never reaching their potential. Yep. So, you know, it, it's, we have to take care of these young people because yes, they are gifted. Yes, they are players. Yes. They made the decision to come here, but truly Mo, it takes time. And this is the one thing that the NBA has never had to do. Look at Wiggins. Yep. Look at Wiggins. Yep. All-star Andrew Wiggins, as soon as he got with Draymond on his team, as soon as he got Stephen Clay on his team, as soon as he got to an organization that was steady and stable. Stable. Look what could happen. No disrespect to Minnesota. Not at all. But but But, but three guys, not just Andrew Wiggins. They had Zach Levine as well. They had the young three... They had those three players in Minnesota, Cat and Wiggins. Now all three All-Stars, but only one of them still there. This is how it works. So I'm putting a challenge to all the organization because now, Mo, it's it's our problem. Yeah. As the adults in this business, myself included, it is our job now to provide leadership to these young people because somewhere somebody's got to take ownership of this and say if we're going to continue with this league as the best league in the world someone's got to show them so that this generation can pass on it to the next guys and then they can pass it on because right now mo we're just putting them there and saying good luck yep because zion 
Zion, who is Zion? Who, 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 who can say, what vet can say, hey man, that's my rookie? It was supposed to be JJ Reddick, but he's saying the complete opposite on national TV. I don't know. I'm not, but, but because I know. Oh, no, 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 just, just on paper. Yeah. He was the yeah, I, most I, experienced player on the team that was there for his first two seasons. I know JJ. I know JJ, his rookie season. I know him. Okay. It's easy now for me to sit here and tell you now, but I can't remember, I can't forget about what it was when I first walked into an NBA locker room. I didn't have the expectations that Zion had, but uh, what I do know is that every player, believe it or not, Michael Jordan included, had to learn from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, And what I know is missing in the NBA in particular is that right now we have a problem with the leadership. Yep. Because these young players are coming in so young, there's no place for them to learn. There's no place for them to learn. And thank goodness that we're trying to solve it by getting rid of tanking and all of the other things. Because these young people have no chance if we currently keep going down this road. Especially in franchises that don't have a culture. You see Jamal success, but the Grizzlies have a culture. Even when they're down, but they had the grit and grind culture of being a hardworking team. And Jamal fits into that perfectly. But that brings us nicely to our next topic. Because yesterday we didn't get time to discuss this. With John Morant being the young superstar that he has, a lot of people describe him as the future face of the NBA. But after All-Star Weekend, BJ, the question remains, who is currently the face of the NBA? Because when I look at it, I don't doubt that John Morant can be the face of this league moving forwards. But right now, at this point in time, given that the biggest cheer on Sunday night was for Michael Jordan, a player who retired 20 years ago almost, who is the face of the NBA right now? You know, Mo, you know, Mo, um, you know I, these are the things I think about all the time. And I just want to be as open as I can about this. It's been a long time, Mo, since I've felt this. The league is faceless right now. Ooh. It's faceless. Mo, there's no consensus on who is the best player. There's no consensus on who is the most dominant player. And in order to be that face, right, there's a business that goes along with that. Yep. Okay. Now, if you ask me who the best player is, you hear me say it every week, Giannis. Yep. And the most dominant too. Okay. But when you watch a player who's the most entertaining, if you said Steph Curry right now, I couldn't argue with you. If you said even LeBron right now, I couldn't argue with you. Who's the best team? If you said the Phoenix Suns right now, I couldn't argue with you. If you said a healthy Brooklyn, I couldn't argue with you. If you said, you know, Milwaukee, Golden State. This league right now is searching for the face and where this league is going to go next. And I'm going to tell you why, Mo, this is important. It's one thing to be the best player. Like, Tim Duncan could have been the best player. 
He was He's the, the best player for a number player. of seasons, yes. but he was never the face. But let me of tell you, let me tell you something though. But here, but here, but hear me out. Mm. In order to be the best player, you got to affect the bottom line, which is winning and be the best player. But you got to affect the top line, which is put people in the seats and be entertaining. People want to watch you play. Vince Carter affected the top line. Vince Sanity was fun. He was yep. exciting. He was all of those things. But Vince Carter never affected the bottom line to, like Tim Duncan. Mm-hmm. Jordan did both. Yep. Kobe did both. LeBron did both. Okay. AI, you could argue that maybe he didn't win as much, but AI sold out. I mean, I mean, I mean AI in. took that Sixers team to the finals, and if it weren't for Kobe, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. The whole thing. So I think AI did yes. both personally. Okay, you can say you can you can you can. Hey, AI affected the game in, in and he ways. affected the culture. He affected yes. the culture more than anyone almost. All I'm saying is this, in order to be the face, you got to do both. Now, Steph has won. But he's a unique player because he's not really, you know, he's not really, you know, you say, like, when I say, I, I think he's Steph, not like LeBron. He's too he's nice of like, a guy. You, you know, no, no, not, like not that that's just, a problem. It's that, you know, Kobe, Jordan. Even LeBron, when he got to Miami, they were like, they were villains to almost every team except for their own. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing about Steph. I don't see people going on the road to cheer that Steph loses. I see people on the road cheering that he wins on the road. Mm-hmm. You like when I played with Jordan, it was like you came to cheer for your team, but you wanted to see Jordan put on a show, and that was that. And you was like, oh God. I don't see the same energy with, with, with stuff. Yeah. LeBron, Kobe, yeah. kind of saw that, right. You know, they kind of, yeah, you, you, you want to see him do well, but you, you're still cheering for your team. Yeah. The Warriors, you can't not, but help like the Warriors. Like mm-hmm. you can't even go to the, even if you're a you're just like, man, what a good group of guys, the way they play. They're so yeah. fun. Look at this little guy. He's running around. <laughs> shooting through. Like, <laughs> You know, you find yourself cheering for the Warriors. They're just, yeah. you cannot cheer against them, right? You, you That's just what it is. Yeah. I think this league is searching. Who? Where is this player that's going to affect the top line and the bottom line? I, right I, now, there's no one to fill that void. There's a number of talented players, but no one has separated themselves. Yeah, I think for that reason, when when I'm asked who the face of the league is, I think it's still LeBron James until someone comes and takes that mantle. Because when I see the we face want of the it NBA, to be LeBron James. Nope. When I say the face of the NBA, I mean someone who doesn't know anything about the NBA. Who do they recognize? Who do they? Oh, if you say the NBA, that's the first thing that comes to their head because it used to be Michael Jordan. It used to be Kobe Bryant. It is LeBron James right now. That's the way I see it. But who's coming after LeBron? Because so it doesn't seem like Yanis, Embiid, Jokic get the same amount of love in terms of you know being at the. Well, in order to be everything. in order to be a star, you you have to be interesting off the court. We don't yeah. really know Giannis's backstory. Yeah, 
Okay. We don't well, know Giannis's I mean, we, we story. We know the bad bones of it. Yeah, we but it's like when you are a star, you you feel like Jordan's story in order to be a star it's got to be an identifiable story. You got to be able to identify. So, here's Jordan's story. He tries out for the team, he gets cut. Name me someone in life who hasn't dealt with dealt with failure. Mm-hmm. It's a story you can identify with. Jordan, who's many consider the greatest of all time, was actually cut from his <laughs> high school team. I can identify with that story. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you another example. Derrick Rose gets hurt at the height of his career. He falls down. And he gets back up, Mo. Mm-hmm. Tell me who can't identify with that Thanks. story. That's you follow me. Yeah. Okay. Here are stories that say, oh wow, that's a that's a story I can identify. The reason you love Jordan is because you can identify with his story. Storytelling is the thing that allows us to stay connected to these people. Believe it or not, Mo. Behind the 30 points is a person. You ain't going to tell me. Okay. And, and, so and when you see Shaq, when you see Shaq, yeah, well, I just yeah. want to say this yeah, one yeah. thing. When you see Shaq, I can't identify with someone who's 7'1", 300 pounds. Like, <laughs> like, like, I don't, I don't, I mean, Mo, like, I can't, it's hard but, but for me I mean, to connect to Shaq's, that. Shaq's personality was amazing. And I think that's why he, he's Shaq been so successful off the court. His personality is amazing. But AI's personality He's small like me. He's little like me. And he's playing amongst the giant. Everyone roots for David versus Goliath. Yeah. That's why I think it's going to be John Morant next up. But do you know what I would love? Talking about storylines and getting up once you've fallen down. I'd love Zion Williamson to come back from injury, go on a tear, win some MVPs, win some championships. And fulfilled the, the prophecy almost that was set for him. But BJ, that brings us to the end of another episode. Unfortunately, we've run out of time once again. We're gonna be back yeah, tomorrow, we did. though. It, it, we did. We did. We're we gonna did. be back tomorrow, though. Don't you guys worry. We're gonna be back nice and early in the morning for you. We have plenty to talk about because the NBA is returning very soon, and we have got some fantastic matchups coming this week. And we're gonna dive into them Thursday night. We've got some games coming. We've got a, a couple of interesting matchups that I'm sure we'll dive into. But until then, keep showing some love for the podcast. I appreciate all of you guys who tune in. Appreciate all of you guys who share it with your friends, leave reviews and all the likes. BJ, once again, thank you for the wisdom and the insight. JJ Reddick, if you're listening, feel free to come on the show and share your opinion with us. We'd love to have that conversation. But to our amazing listeners, our family, we'll see you tomorrow morning. Get buckets.